Open our lips, O God, that our mouths might proclaim your praise. Amen. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from the stranger because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. As we were going over this passage in staff this week, Thomas Murphy reminded us of one of the wonderfully big, huge, enormous ironies of this passage, where Jesus is saying confidently, with, you can hear a good passion in his voice, and all those who have gone before, and all this stuff, and, but my sheep hear my voice. And later the disciples say, can you tell us what you meant? Yeah, you get that? Like, they didn't understand. Well, they hear my voice, they recognize it, but now they don't understand. That's kind of a, a weird thing. It's like a comedy skit. Jesus, how was the speech? Well, Jesus, you were really clear and confident. You really spoke, but we have no idea what you said. Yeah, you're supposed to be laughing. John wants you to laugh. And so why do we get this story today? Why in this season of Easter, we're now in the fourth week of Easter, where we've been hearing stories about resurrection appearances, does the gospel writer take us back into where Jesus has not even died yet? This is early in the story to talk about resurrection. Why this story in the season of resurrection? It's about them having to learn to hear and reminding all of us that we are always having to learn to hear anew and to understand anew. And that resurrection is causing us always to do that. And as we've said many times before, when we're being called into a new place, it's not that the old was inherently bad. It may have not been helpful. It may have just been neutral. It may have even been helpful at a time, but it doesn't serve anymore. And it has to be let go because we're being called to hear again. Jesus, what are you saying? Help us know your voice now. Help us know what you're saying to us at this time. And so they're actually having to go back into the story to learn to hear new which may sound kind of strange, but really, it's not very strange at all. It's something we as faith communities do all the time. Young people, you see that baptismal font? Well, you can't, can you? No, it's behind the wall. Because at one time in the church's life, we started getting into the sense that baptisms were a private thing that you and maybe your parents and a few handful of friends did in a private room with the priest. But then we realized, well, now wait a minute, there's something lost here because the oldest experiences of baptism were always communal. Where was Jesus baptized? River Jordan, very public place, lots of people. And the church went, that's really nuts. Why do we do that? Especially with such a doggone gorgeous font. But that's another thing that we all, anyway, that's why we start the service there now. But now we bring the baptismal bowl in here to say, baptism's about all of us. And it's even not just about all souls people making vows for you and your baptism or us making vows for others, because we also say, will you seek and serve Christ in all people? Will you understand that this baptism is not only not private about church, but it's not private at all. It's about seeing God and hearing God in everywhere in the world. And young people, you see this table? It wasn't always here. Actually, Felix and Gabby, if you guys, if we put it back where it was, you'd be sitting on it today. Because when this church was built, it was in a time when the church understood that 
Communion was something that you guys sat all here, and you guys would be out there, and the priest would be up there facing the wall. Why that dome is there, but that's another subject. And you couldn't go behind the rail. When I was a kid, I couldn't go behind the rail because that was so holy. And then the church realized, wait a minute, that's kind of nuts because we're all God's people. We're all the body of Christ. And so they didn't just move the table out a little so that you could see me looking at you. They said, that table has to be in the middle of the space because all of us are the body of Christ. All of us doing communion. You just gave a few of us collars to put our hands on the bread and wine, but it's about you guys. If you're not here, we can't do this. If they're not here, we can't do this. And so the church had to go back to its old understandings of what communion, right, thank you for praying. Yeah, cheer that. Amen, brother. And the church had to go back in its history to hear again. We've missed something. We've gotten distracted by something. We've forgotten what it means to hear and be the body of Christ, so we have to hear anew. And this practice of going back in time to hear anew isn't just something Christians do, it's something Israel did. We heard from Nehemiah today about Israel going into the promised land. And one of the truths about the people in those days is they go through the desert, but when Moses gets the law, Moses doesn't just keep it up in some high place. Moses has to go into the people, and God says, gather all the people to hear this law. Everybody has to hear it, because as the way you hear God's voice is as a people. Everybody has to be there listening, together, as a group. And Moses is starting to talk at one point in this story, and, and not the one you hear today, but in the story of gathering all the people, and some of these people start getting ecstatic and prophesying and do all that, and Moses' friends say, um, they're not you, Moses, shouldn't we shut them up? And he says, no, they're getting the idea. It's about them, not me. It's about all of us. We have to hear together or we don't really hear. My sheep hear my voice as a body, as a community. My people hear together. And what we had to do as a church is to realize that when we try to live individually, that really doesn't work well. We don't really hear well, whether we're just listening individually or as a small group. Because if you're like me, you kind of tend to choose people who are like you, unfortunately. But what the church is saying is, no, this is public. And to hear the shepherd's voice, you have to hear it communally. I think if we just took this group of people here today and, and brought up some subject, we'd find that there were a whole lot of differences in understandings. And then if we multiplied that by the two other services and then multiplied that by the city of Asheville and the United States and the whole world, man, think about what does it mean to hear together? What does it mean to hear it with one voice? There's a whole lot of different experiences and understandings and hearing. And man, can you imagine in America if we heard with one voice today? Yeah. And we're not that odd. Generations have struggled with that. We just have all this media stuff that keeps pushing the white noise at us. We've always struggled with hearing with one voice. And yet that's what we're hearing about resurrection. Resurrection means relearning. Resurrection means hearing as a body and listening as a body. See, you heard that, didn't you? We hear as a body. 
This past week, I got to go up to Chicago to go to the annual North American Deans Conference, Canadian and U.S. Cathedral Deans. It moves around to a different city each year, and for those that know that I was born in Chicago, that is a trip to the Holy Land. <laughs> we definitely ate our way through the city trying to support all the local businesses we could. And the local dean chooses the theme. And part of the theme this year was hearing and bread and what's bread for this time in our lives and had various speakers. And as I was listening to one speaker, they were talking about what it means to be cathedrals in the community. And I realized part of what they were giving was a sense of what voice do we listen for? What, what are the values? What are some of the cores that are beyond our differences of experience and understanding? If we're trying to hear as one voice, might there be some virtues, some characteristics? And I won't go into all of what he said, but a few things. Being attentive. To hear as God invites us to hear is to see and hear like Jesus does, which means we see not only the obvious people, we now hear not only the obvious voices, but we look for like Jesus and listen for like Jesus to the voices that aren't really loud, to the voices that can be overwhelmed. And so to hear as a people means to be attentive to all of the voices of all the people. To hear as God hears is to combine both truthfulness and hope, realism and hope, who are willing to look at the world and see what is going on and not just be optimistic, but have something that drives us, that says, this is why we hope. This is for which we strive and live. Realistic and hopeful mentioned having a sense of integrity, and when we first throw that word out, it can often be like an, an ethical word. Are you a person of integrity? Is your word trustworthy? But then as I realize that what integrity really is, is about relationships. It's about relationships of you all. It's about relationships of us all. It's about relationships with the whole community of Asheville. And how do the decisions that we make impact every person in the city of Asheville? in the state of North Carolina, in the world? Where do we understand the organic integrity that all of life is connected? How do your decisions impact the earth and the ground and the air? Do we listen and live from integrity? And one last one he mentioned was a sense of compassion and delight. That we listen with compassion and we also delight in one another. And we've said many times before from this pulpit, what does it take for us to hear and believe? For all you guys up here, what does it take to believe that you are the delight of God, that when God sees you, God delights and smiles? Says, yeah. To listen as God listens is to have both compassion, open heart, and a delight. There was another speaker that didn't say, I'm going to talk to you today about hearing, but as I listened to her, I realized she was really talking about hearing as a people. 
Her name is Toni Preckwinkle. She originally, in her early life, was part of the education system of the city of Chicago. And then she ran for a ward, and, and to give you guys an idea, the city of Chicago is, or I mean, the Cook County Commission, she's the head, did I say that? I'm sorry, my head's a little clogged from this stuff. So I can hear like three voices right now, it's really kind of crazy. <laughs> But that's not untypical, is it? She, she presides over all the county commissions for the, the Cook County, which is all of Chicago and lots of suburbs, seven million people that she oversees. 50 wards. She was in education, then she ran for the head of a ward, the fourth ward, and unseated, let's just put it this way for those of you that know Chicago, unseated an old Chicago politician and went in and kind of redid everything and got rid of all the cronyism and fought some really hard battles. And she was then now the president of the county commissioners. And she recognizes the city that, for a lot of us, man, we love Chicago. And there's some amazing things about that city. And there's some really sad things about the city, the violence, the number of people that die there every year. And she said, essentially, the statistics that you hear of the violence are from six of the 50 wards. And somehow, as she spoke, we've got to be able to hear the voices of all the wards. We've got to hear about the underpinnings of violence and suffering. And she wondered aloud about who would, who would listen for those voices. She spoke freely about our jail system being at the intersection of poverty and race. She spoke freely about a group of nuns who have gotten into the prisons to work with people before they get out of prison and then choose to continue to be with them so that there is relationship, integrity, and community. She spoke about a pilot program they're working on in one of the wards so that instead of the police or other officials in town picking up someone who is having distress or in distress and just simply taking them either to the emergency room or the jail, they go first to this triage center They have the discretion to take them there, where people who are trained can kind of say, what's going on here, and what really does this person need? Rather than just trying to fit them in one hole or another. She talked about working on reducing the pipeline of young people being lost. She talked about how 40% of the kids who graduate from high school in the city of Chicago, particularly in these six wards, can't get in either to higher education or find jobs. These are the kids who actually graduated. And how they worked with companies in the city to start internships. She talked about working on laws with the whole state about restorative justice, so that rather than just putting kids into the criminal system, they would find some ways for them to be accountable and part of the community. She talked about how they were having successes with that on a juvenile level, but not quite the same success with adult people. And at the very end of the Q&A session, the last question someone asked, hearing her talk about this city and its vastness, and how the wards that are just amazing, and if you go downtown, you think, what an amazing city. How great. And they said, knowing all you know about this city 
and all the years that you've spent working with it, what sustains you? She said, there are things for which I have energy and I focus on those things. And I realized she was practicing the discipline of listening. Of listening with a voice. What are those things for which I have passion, energy that I can engage myself in and how do I work to weed out all the white noise of all the distractions. And she said, oh, and actually, too, there's another thing. I have children and grandchildren who live in this city. I realized she understood resurrection. She never talked much about her faith one way or another, but she was talking about resurrection listening and hearing. We have to hear as a people we have to have some basic undergirding foundations that we're listening for. Does this course offer and speak of a real lived out integrity for all people, not just some? Does this bring life of fulfillment for all people? How are we attentive as a people? Resurrection is surely about hope founded in realism. And we can't do that alone. Jesus says here today that this is about fulfillment and joy. And if we know anything, true fulfillment is always communal. Communal. 